You are listening to the Landmark Sermon Series, a sermon podcast nearly 40 years in the making. You'll hear the voices of our church's founding pastors, Dr. James Reeves and Alan McBrayer, as well as others who helped pave the way for City on a Hill beginning all the way back in the early 1980s. Our hope is that these sermons bless you and challenge you in the same way they have blessed and challenged so many others in the past. For more information about our church, visit www.cityonahilldfw.com. Thank you, Monty. Pieces. And that's really what we've been dealing with today, what we began this morning, how our lives are fragmented and so many different pieces, and how we can be made whole and complete persons, how we can keep a straight head, if you will, in the midst of a crooked world. And I told you this morning that I was going to begin this message and then we would uh, end where we ended and we'd pick up where we had ended this morning. Are you with me? <laughs> well, we're picking up where we ended this morning. So turn in Philippians to chapter 4, and we'll read again verses 5 through 9. I'll tell you, a night like this is a test of your powers of concentration and my powers of preaching. <laughs> to keep your attention are the Lord's uh, control over your life to keep the old eyelids from falling away. I, you know it's bad when your wife asks you, you haven't got a real long message tonight, have you? <laughs> I mean, the last person in the world that I expected to hear that from my wife. And so she's thinking it. I know that some of you must be thinking that. Of course, my answer is always no. Uh, And then we get into it and find out whether that's a lie or whether that's the truth. Verse 4 through 9 of Philippians chapter 4, keeping a straight head in a crooked world. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind, those that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Practice these things, and the God of peace shall be with you. Now, as we pick up where we left off this morning in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9, Paul is in prison. Remember, as Paul writes this letter to the Philippians, he is in a Roman prison. He is waiting his trial, which ultimately we understand historically probably was the, the last place that Paul lived, was in that Roman prison, and it was there that Paul probably wrote this letter, or that Paul probably lost his life. Now, Paul in prison has every reason, humanly speaking, to be down and out, has every reason to be depressed. Yet Paul writes to these Philippians, who, by the way, are not in prison. They're free as birds, and he's the one writing the letter. But he writes from prison, writes to these Philippians, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. And you and I look at that, and we ask the question, How in the world is that possible? How is it possible for Paul to keep uh, that kind of attitude? How is it possible for you and me to keep a a steady, healthy, emotional, psychological, and mental stability in a wild and crazy and crooked and perverse generation as Jesus said it? Well, God's Word has the answer. God's Word 
uh, gives us some things here in this passage as well as other places, but we're dealing with this passage right now. God's Word gives us some principles that if we will practice them, they will be the key that will allow us to maintain that, that strong emotional and mental uh, health and makeup in a world that would seek to pull us down to its level. And this morning, we dealt with three of the seven, and so tonight we're going to have to hit the last four. The first one we said was rejoice in the Lord. Paul says in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord, and again I will say rejoice. That means to find your joy in Him. If you're going to be emotionally stable, good, solid mental health, then you're going to have to find your joy in Jesus and nothing else. Not in circumstances, not in your job, not in your friends, not in your family, not in all of those things, because those things are all, un all unconstant. But only the Lord Jesus is constant. Therefore, if you're to have constant joy, then your joy needs to be found in Him. And so Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. Second of all, realize the nearness of his coming in other words we talked about the fact that we need to live in that kind of expectation that kind of spiritual tiptoes knowing that at any moment at any instant the lord jesus could come again to receive his people what does that do well that just sets us free from needing to uh, seek our pound of flesh needing to harbor anger needing to harbor resentment because paul says let your forbearing spirit be known to all men the lord is near He's the righteous judge. He's the one that is going to set all things that are wrong, make them right when he comes. And if you and I live in that moment-by-moment moment kind of anticipation on our spiritual tiptoes, then it'll just set us free from all of those things that would weigh us down as anger, bitterness, and resentment, and that rob you of emotional stability. The third thing we dealt with this morning was refuse to worry about anything. Paul says in verse 6, "...be anxious for nothing." That word literally means to be divided, to, to, to be divided between faith and between fear. He says, refuse to be worrying about anything. Be anxious for nothing. And we looked at the words of Jesus this morning about worry in Matthew chapter 6. And Jesus gave us some things there about worry. He said, first of all, it's worthless. You can't add one cubit to your stature by worrying. Not only that, it's wasteful. It takes today's energy and applies it and wastes it on tomorrow's troubles that you can't do anything about anyway. And so worry is wasteful. But third, worry is wicked. Jesus says that's the way the Gentiles act. That's the way the pagans, those who do not know the Heavenly Father, they worry about the things that they'll have, the things that they need. But Jesus says it ought not to be so among you. It ought not to be so among God's people. So refuse to worry about anything tonight we pick up in verse 6 and i want to say to you the fourth principle for keeping a straight head in a crooked world is resolve everything by prayer resolve everything by prayer look what paul says in verse 6 be anxious for nothing but in everything listen to that in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to god now Paul said, life in prayer. In everything, he says, let your requests be made known to God. Now that says to me that God is interested in every single facet of my life. Now many of us get into the rut and we get into the routine of, of praying to the Father uh, diligently at least, earnestly, only when we find ourselves involved in a crisis situation. 
But the daily affairs of life, the daily little uh, things that, that are thrown into our path that would try to trip us up, and the daily little decisions uh, of life that we face, every one of us, we just kind of get into the rut of the routine of trying to handle those things ourselves. In crisis, we come to the Lord, and we'll trust the Lord in crisis, but in the daily affairs, the small, minute things in life that every one of us faces every day, we get into the rut and the routine of trying to handle those ourselves. What I've found in my own life is that it is not the crisis situations where I have a difficult time trusting the Lord. Because, you see, in a crisis situation, where else is there to turn? A crisis situation always drives us to our knees. It reminds us of our frailty. It reminds us that, that we are not eternal in the sense that God is eternal and that we don't have all power in the sense that God has all power. And it really and truly just opens our eyes once again to the fact that we cannot do it on our own. And so a crisis situations are not the times that I have the difficulty trusting the Lord. It's in that day-by-day process of those little things that we meet in, in, in the day, those little decisions, those little directions that we need to go, those are the things that become more stressful upon my life than the crisis situations. And so Paul says to counter that, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, in everything, let your requests be made known to God. Not only the major, but the minor day-to-day decisions of life. I heard the parable of uh, a man walking out in the jungle. And as he was going out in the jungle, he came face to face with a man-eating lion. And he immediately realized that he was outclassed by this lion. He was not in his own environment. He was in this lion's environment. And besides that, the lion had longer teeth and longer fingernails than he did. And so he realized that something needed to be done pretty quick. And so he began to pray, Lord, deliver me from this lion. And he prayed, oh, Lord, deliver me from the mouth of this lion. And the parable says that the lion about that time turned around and just trotted off into the jungle. And then the man went back to camp that night and, and was sleeping in his tent or was attempting to sleep in his tent. And after he turned the lantern off, he heard this, you know what that is? It's a mosquito, a mosquito. And he heard that mosquito buzzing around his head and it just began to bother him and he started swatting at the mosquito and he never could get it and so he'd get up and he'd turn the light on and the stupid thing would disappear. You know, they have a way of disappearing when you turn the light on, you know, and no mosquito. And then he'd turn the light off and then all of a sudden here'd come that mosquito buzzing around his head and he did that all night long, back and forth. Here, he'd turn on the light and the mosquito disappeared. He'd lay back down the mosquito would buzz around his head all night long, back and forth, this crazy mosquito. The parable says that Early the next morning, just as the sun was coming up over the horizon, the Lord spoke to him in a small voice and rebuked him and said, You prayed to me about the lion, but you thought that you could handle the mosquito by yourself. Paul says in everything, in everything, not only the major crises of life, but the mosquitoes of life, even everything, in everything, let your requests be made known to God. You know, when you think about it, it's really kind of foolish anyway to talk about things that are big and things that are little to God, isn't it? I mean, it's really kind of foolish to talk about major things and and then non-major things to God as if some things would be a big deal to God and other things would be a little thing to God. And we have a tendency to say, well, I don't want to bother God with the little things. And we, it's really kind of foolish when we begin to talk like that because nothing is major to God in the first place. 
Nothing is major to him. Nothing is small to him. Everything stands on the same level before the Heavenly Father. What does the scripture say? He says, I am the Lord. Is anything too difficult for me? I am the Lord. Is anything too difficult for me? As a matter of fact, the bigness or the littleness of a circumstance or a situation in your life is not determined by in relationship to you, not in relationship to God. Whether a crisis is a major crisis or it's a minor crisis is not decided in relationship to who he is. It is, re- it is decided in relationship to who you are because it's all little before him. I am the Lord. There is nothing too difficult for me. And he's interested in every single area of our lives. Now, listen, what we're talking about is how to remain stable in, a, in an unstable world, how to maintain a level of emotional and psychological and mental health because God is interested in that. Remember, he's interested in us not being conformed to the world, but being transformed. How? By the renewing of our minds. God is interested in his people being stable emotionally and mentally. And if that is the case, then he must have some eternal, lasting principles in his word by which that can take place. And I, I pray that that's what we're doing tonight, that that's what we've been looking at all day long in everything. Let your request be made known to God. Resolve everything in prayer. Not only the major crises of life, but those day-by-day decisions of life. Do you know what that's going to do to you when you begin to do that? That's going to begin to give you that sense of security that the Father really is involved in your lives. And when we play the God in the box syndrome, where we just kind of stuff God in his box over here, and we put him on the shelf, and then when a major crisis comes, we wind it up, and it plays this little tune, and then he pops out, and we say, okay, God, perform. And when the crisis is over with, then we push him back in the box and put him back on the shelf. Then we never have the sense of security that God is really involved in our lives. But when you and I learn what Paul says to let your request be known to God in everything, then we begin to have that sense of an awareness of the presence of the living Lord Jesus in every area of our lives. Nothing is too little. God is interested in it all. Our little three-year-old, Tiffany, I talk about her a lot, don't I? I kind of like her. She's kind of neat, but I learned a lot from her too. I learned a lot of lessons of life. From, uh, from her, just as you do from your children. And as I was thinking about this, about how the Father is interested in, in the small details of our lives, uh, something came to my mind that she has begun doing. Uh, she began doing this, I guess, about a year ago, uh, maybe a little bit longer ago. But when she knows that I'm coming home, if I've called home and, and told Laura that I'm about to come home, then Laura will tell her, you know, Daddy's on his way home. And, and uh, she does something that just blesses my, my heart. I just love it. Uh, she'll go to her room and she'll stand by her window. And her, her window is down low. It's, it's just right for her. It just strikes her about knee high, the windowsill. And so she can look out and, and see all the dogs and the cats and the, the grasshoppers that are hopping around out there on her windowsill. And she can also see the driveway. And when she knows that I'm about to come home, she'll run into her room and she'll stand there and she'll look out the window waiting for me to get home. And when I pull up in the driveway, I'll see her and she's looking out the window and then she'll disappear. And just, just turn around and shh, like, a, like a, a puff of smoke, she's gone. And as I'm putting the key into the door, I can hear her just inside the door squealing <laughs> with excitement and screaming and, 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 and calling out, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And when I come in the door, then immediately she goes into this long expose of the day. I mean, you know, she tells me about the bug that, that she just squashed or that, that scared her 
or she tells me about the uh, uh, running out on the on the back patio and how she she scuffed her little knee up and she wants me to see her band-aid or she needs to tell me that she needs a band-aid or and she just goes into this long expose of the day and I just love it I just love for her to 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 to, to do that with me but you see when she begins to do that I don't look at her with a scorn and say get out of my face I mean haven't you got anything bigger than that? I mean, I've been working all day. I've been listening to people's problems all day. I've been studying all day. I've been visiting all day. I hadn't got time to come home and listen to your bug and your Band-Aid and all of that kind of stupid stuff. Kid, when you got something big to tell Daddy, then come back and tell him. And in the meantime, leave me alone. Oh, that's so ridiculous to even think about that, isn't it? It's so ridiculous. It's even more ridiculous to think of the Heavenly Father not wanting to hear every burden that you carry, no matter how small it might be, no matter how major it might be to you or how small it might be in, in relation to who He is, the Heavenly Father is interested. And when God's people really get a sense of that, where you, with the little band-aids, even with the little mosquitoes, even with the little bugs that crawl across the floor of your life, and know that He hears that He's interested it begins to give us that sense of stability in the presence of a loving Heavenly Father. He cares. He listens. And so the fourth principle of keeping a straight head in a crooked world is to resolve everything in prayer. He says, in everything, let your requests be made known to God. Bob, we may not get the socket to you tonight. We may be studying all night long. No, we won't. Number five, respond with a thanksgiving spirit. Respond in every circumstance with a thanksgiving spirit. Now notice what he says. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Bruce Casburn called me on the carpet last week when I quoted this verse and forgot that part. And because that's an important part. And he said, you didn't quote that verse right. And he said, it says with thanksgiving. And he was exactly right. I misquoted and I missed the whole meaning of the verse by leaving that little phrase with thanksgiving out. Let your request be known, made known to God by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Develop or respond to everything with a thanksgiving spirit. As you pray to the Father, pray to the Father with thanksgiving in every event and every situation in life. You say, well, James, that's stupid. That's stupid to thank God in the midst of tragedy. That's not stupid. That's faith. That's what the Bible calls faith. The ability to praise the Father, the ability to thank God in the midst of every single circumstance of life. That's not stupid. That's faith. What it is on the part of the child of God, it is a recognition on the, your part, on the child of God's part, that God the Father is sovereign in all things. Did you hear that? When the child of God is able to come to the Father as a child, even in the midst of crisis, in the midst of every circumstance, and pray, let his request be made known to God with thanksgiving. He is recognizing that God the Father is sovereign and that there is no event in life that is bigger than a sovereign, almighty God. There is no event in life through which that sovereign God is not able to bring victory and rejoicing in the life of the child of God. Did you hear that? Develop a thanksgiving spirit. Respond in everything with a thanksgiving spirit. 
The Apostle Paul was that rare breed of preacher that practiced what he preached. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I pray to be that. I'm not always that. I don't make a claim to always be that. I can preach the, the truth of, of God's Word um, and then go out and blow it. That's myself that very day. And I am sure that the Apostle Paul did that as well. But he seems to me, as I study what he's written and, and the instances in his life, Paul seems to have been a rare breed of a preacher that really and truly practiced what he preached. Chapter 1, verse 12, Paul goes into a discussion to these Philippians about the fact that his circumstances, his circumstances of being in prison, have actually worked out for the progress of the gospel. He says that because of my imprisonment, the gospel has been known throughout the entire Praetorian Guard. That was the guard, the special guard of the Caesar of Rome. And they were guarding Paul because he was a Roman prisoner. And he was to, appealing to Caesar and was going to go before Caesar. So he was guarded by this Praetorian Guard. And as a result, he says, of his imprisonment, the entire Praetorian Guard has been exposed to the gospel. And he goes on and he says, not only that, but all of the brothers in Rome who have watched me, have watched how I've responded to my imprisonment, they have become more bold in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, how does Paul respond in a crisis situation? He just praises the Father. He looks for good in that circumstance, and he thanks the Lord. He says, listen, this isn't all bad. God's in control. God is sovereign, and because of this, he just used this thing, and he's turned it around, and he's going to just hit Satan right in the face with it, and all the Praetorian Guard has heard the gospel, and the brothers in Rome are preaching the gospel now with power and authority as they have looked at my life and the way that I have, have responded. How does Paul keep a straight head in a crooked world? He understood to respond with a thanksgiving spirit in the midst of every single circumstance. God has a plan. God has a plan. God is sovereign and he's working in your life. Now, what's that going to do for you, child of God? What's that going to do for you when you find yourself in a crisis situation that normally would depress you, that normally would defeat you, that normally would make you angry and bitter and resentful? When you have developed a thanksgiving spirit and learned what it means to praise the Father and thank the Father in every circumstance, that just wipes out any need on your part to be angry or bitter or resentful, to think that, that life owes you something that life never promised, or that God owes you something that he never promised to give. It just sets you free from all of that, and you're able to praise the Father in the midst of every circumstance. Paul said it in another place in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, in everything give thanks. Why, he says, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Rejoice in the Lord. Realize the nearness of his coming. Refuse to worry about anything. Resolve everything in prayer and respond in all things with thanksgiving. Number six, reflect on positive things. Reflect on positive things. Verse 8 says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Reflect on positive things. You know, the Bible is not against positive thinking. The Bible teaches positive thinking. It's not the humanistic 
brand of positive thinking that you and I are exposed to quite a bit in our day. It's not that kind at all. But the kind of positive thinking that God's Word teaches and that God endorses is the kind of positive thinking when you and I, as His people, dwell upon the positive things of God. There's nothing humanistic about that at all. It's simple obedience to the eternal, unchanging Word of God. And that's the kind of positive thinking that God's Word endorses. It is when the child of God places his mind, ingrains his mind, and dwells with his mind upon the positive things of God. And that's what Paul mentions right here in verse 8. Why is that? Why is that important? Because of this. Because your mind controls your actions. Your mind ultimately controls your actions. Therefore, you and I, as the people of God, need to guard our minds. We need to build a barrier around our minds. We need to dwell on the things that are positive, the things that are of God. Isaiah 26, verse 3 says it this way. He will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is stayed upon thee. Isn't that pretty? Isn't that beautiful? He will keep in perfect peace he whose mind is stayed upon thee. And so, to maintain a straight head in a crooked world, you need to learn to reflect on positive things, to fix your mind, to fix your, your, your eyes upon the things of God and let your mind dwell upon those things. The writer of the Proverbs says this, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. That's an eternal principle of the Word of God. What you dwell upon in your mind ultimately is what comes out in your life. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. I heard it this way, and I wrote it down some time ago, and you've heard me say this before. Listen to this little quote. You sow a thought, you reap a deed. You sow a deed, you reap a habit. Sow a habit and reap a care and reap a destiny. And it all begins with a thought. Sow a thought, reap a deed. Sow a deed, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character and reap an eternal destiny. And it all begins in the thought life. I heard of 15 prominent professors of human psychology who responded to a challenge. And this was their challenge. Their challenge was to to take all of the philosophy of all of the motivational books and all of the human self-help kind of books that are on the market today, to take all of that and condense them down to one concise yet complete statement. And after they had, had considered and studied and worked together, they came up with this statement. Listen to this. They said, what the mind attends to, it considers. Now that means if you think on something, you have to consider it. What the mind attends to, it considers. In other words, if you dwell on something, if you think on something, then you have to give it consideration. The second part of the statement was what it does not attend to, it dismisses. That means if you don't reflect on something, if you don't give it your attention, then the mind will ultimately dismiss it and forget it. What the mind attends to, it considers. What the mind does not attend to, it dismisses. The third part of the statement was this. What the mind attends to continually, 
it ultimately believes. In other words, if you reflect on something enough, if you give it enough attention, if you attend to it enough, if you consider it enough, then eventually you're going to believe it, whether it's true or whether it's false. If you attend to it and you consider it long enough, then eventually you're going to believe it. The fourth and final part of their concise statement was this. What the mind believes, it eventually acts upon. What the mind believes, it eventually does. Now let me give it to you all in one shot. What the mind attends to, it considers. What it does not attend to, it dismisses. What the mind attends to continually, it believes. What the mind believes, it eventually acts upon. Now, isn't that true? That's true because the thought is the father of the deed. Every deed begins with a thought. Therefore, Paul says, reflect only upon positive things. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is of good repute, dwell upon these things. Attitudes determine actions. You dwell upon the things of the world, and the result ultimately begins to be the attitudes of the world in your life. Now, what are the attitudes of our world? Attitudes of anger, the attitude of fear, the attitude of selfishness, all of those things that rob us of good, solid, emotional, and mental stability. You dwell on the things of the world, consider the things of the world, and eventually... The things of the world are going to come out in your life. But listen, reflect upon the things of God. Reflect upon what, what God has given. Reflect upon the Word of God. And eventually the attitudes of God's Word is going to be reflected in your life. What are those? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, long-suffering. That picture of Jesus that is given to us in Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit. Reflect only upon positive things. And so Paul says... Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, right, pure, lovely, of good reputation, of excellence, if it's worthy of praise, then let your mind dwell on these things. I heard uh, of a little girl that quoted the Lord's Prayer, thought she was doing it correctly, thought this, this is what people had said the years that she had heard them quoting the Lord's Prayer, and she said, And Lord, forgive us our trash baskets. You know, maybe we ought to pray that. Lord, forgive us our trash baskets. Our minds have become trash baskets. And we just fill our minds with the trash of the world. And then we wonder why the attitudes of the world are reflected in our lives. Don't let your mind be a trash basket. Don't have to come to love my trash basket. My trash basket. I can't even say it. Reflect only upon positive things. And then finally, we close with this. Number seven, reinforce it all with action. Verse nine, these things you have learned and received and have heard and seen in me, listen to what he says, practice these things and the God of peace shall be with you. Practice these things. See, it's one thing to know something, it's another thing to do it. The book of James that we have been attempting to study on Sunday nights, and we've kind of been doing it on a hit and miss basis because this summer things have been kind of uh, interfering with that. But the book of James says, don't be just hearers of the word, but be doers 
of the word. Paul says, get busy. Get busy and practice these things. Put the word of God to test. You know, you can hear something like maybe these two messages that I've preached today, and I hope they've been encouraging to you. I, I intend them to be. I, I hope they have been an encouragement to you. Uh, some of you that struggle with these things like depression and fear and worry, anxiety, and all of those things that rob you of that, that real strong emotional stability and, and good, solid mental health that God wants, to have, wants you to have as his people. And you can hear a message like I preached this morning and, and like I've preached tonight and be encouraged with the fact that there's hope and be encouraged from the Word of God that the Word of God says there is an answer. And you can hear that and go away from here feeling good about yourself and, and good about the prospects for the future and all of that. But if you never put it into practice, then tomorrow it's going to be gone. You see, the feeling of, of uplift and of just feeling a little bit good about the fact that there's hope only lasts for a short time. And if it's not reinforced with action, then it, it quickly slides away. It, it quickly leaves us and ultimately we end up being worse off than we were before we heard it because now we're accountable for it. And we realize that there is an answer, yet we have not disciplined ourselves to, become a, to, to receive that answer and to have it worked out in our lives. And given that fact, I want to issue a challenge tonight as we close. The challenge is this. If you struggle with depression, if you struggle with fear, if you struggle with anxiety, if these, any of these things, any of those things that would rob you of, of, of solid emotional stability. If you struggle with any of those things, then I want you to do something tonight or first thing in the morning, better tonight. I want you to write these seven things down. I hope you already have. If you haven't, come and I'll give them to you out of my notes. Write these seven things down and then beneath each one of them, make some notes about what you're going to have to do in, in your individual life to make that principle happen. in order to be able to get it done. Let's go over them. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. Find your joy in Jesus. Now, what are you replacing Jesus with for your joy? In other words, where is your joy right now? Is it in a business? Is it in circumstances? Is it in friends? If so, then your joy is very shaky. It's not going to last. And so if you're going to find your joy in the Lord and rejoice in the Lord, then you need to write down, what, what are some things I'm going to have to change in order to find my joy in the Lord, the one who is constant? The second, realize the nearness of his coming. What am I going to have to do to live in that expectation, that moment-by-moment -moment spiritual tiptoes type of anticipation in the coming of Jesus at any moment and live my life with that kind of, uh, of expectancy? The third thing, Refuse to worry about anything. Paul says, be anxious for nothing. Right beneath that. What am I going to have to do? How am I going to have to discipline myself when worry begins to, to come upon me? What am I going to have to do to refuse to worry about anything? Fourth, resign everything in prayer. What disciplines are I going to have to bring into my life to begin a consistent prayer life? To begin to learn that as I'm driving down the road, if something comes into my, my mind or my heart, to discipline myself to lift it up to the Lord right then, to carry that communication of prayer with me every moment, every instant of every day. Fifth, respond with thanksgiving. What am I going to have to do to be able to respond in every circumstance of life thanking the Lord in the midst of it and just saying, Lord, I trust you that your sovereign hand is in charge. Three out of this. Fourth, reflect on positive things. 
what are some things you're going to have to get out of your life? Maybe things you watch, maybe things you read, maybe things you think, maybe speech patterns that you've gotten into in daily lives. What are some things I'm going to have to do to be able to reflect upon only the positive things of God? And then seventh, reinforce it all with some positive actions. How are some ways that I can put all of this into practice and act on it? And if that's not done, then ultimately you're worse off having been here today than you would have been had you not been here. Because you'll leave here with a sense of hope and encouragement, but you'll wake up tomorrow or tomorrow evening with a sense of depression and fear because nothing's changed. Let's pray together.